Tokyo, Japan, this is Frank Ling. And from Chicago, Illinois, I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's show, the Nobel Prizes. That's right, in addition, we're joined by Professor Cynthia Kuhn, who will discuss the science of drugs. So stay tuned for all this. Coming right up. Here on the Grok Science Show. That makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? Excited, actually. And this is the greatest week for science ever. <laughs> Indeed. The Nobel Prizes. The Nobel Prizes. How the can you... Nobel. <laughs> you know, I'm glad we celebrate every year a man who created dynamite. <laughs> Blew off a few fingers here and there. <laughs> well, you know, you have to destroy before you can create. Yeah, isn't that what Picasso said? <laughs> <laughs> well... We've got three Nobel Prizes already and uh-huh. uh, a couple more to be awarded upcoming economics right. and elsewhere. Is, it, is that a science? <laughs> <laughs> it's the dismal science, I thought. Ah, peace is now becoming a science of some sort, well, right? If, if they can ever achieve it. <laughs> peace in a bottle. Right, 99 cents, right? <laughs> <laughs> For 100, we do better. It's been really exciting. Uh. It's time to reflect over the past year of scientific achievements and uh-huh. certainly a lot of stuff going on. But seriously, you know, when was the last time you thought the prize was like, wow? <laughs> even if you look back on the past awards, you'd be hard-pressed, even if you're in the field, to name who won the Nobel Prize in any given year. So. Right. Well, nevertheless, we do want to congratulate all the Nobel Prize winners this year, especially our very own Professor Yochiro Nambu here at the University of Chicago won the Nobel Prize in Physics. So very special congratulations to him and all the other awardees, and of course uh, the awardees yet to be announced. And I guess we'll just have to wait till next year to uh, repeat the celebration of science all over again. But until that time, coming up in just a few minutes, Professor Cynthia Kuhn will join us, and she will talk about the science of drugs. So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Grok Science Show. Well, drugs are a ubiquitous part of modern society. Everything from caffeine to alcohol to marijuana and cocaine. 
But despite the prevalence of these many drugs in our society, information sometimes gets confused with misinformation, and the facts are often hard to discern. Well, joins today to discuss this issue is Professor Cynthia Kuhn. Professor Kuhn is Professor of Pharmacology and Cancer Biology and Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Duke University. Author of numerous scientific and popular works on the subject, she has recently co-authored Buzzed, the straight facts about the most used and abused drugs from alcohol to ecstasy, which explores this issue for a general audience. Professor Kuhn, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Delighted to be there. Certainly a very fascinating book, I think, for everybody, and I understand this is actually an update of 1998 publication. What's new in this edition? The drugs that we cover are the same, but every few years we need to update it because we know more. People are using new drugs. Some drugs have sort of dropped off the list a little bit. The big difference this time is we tried to expand a little bit our explanation about prescription drugs, especially prescription narcotics, since that's unfortunately the big drug use that's been on the rise here in the United States. Hmm. How informed do you think the public is now about drugs, and how informed do you think that they were back when the book first came out? I think that there's always a younger generation coming up who needs to have the information, both kids and their parents. So I think people basically know a little bit, but not a lot. What do you think is the most abused drug in uh, modern society? Easy. Alcohol. No (laughs) question. Just in terms of numbers. And the reason is because people have access to it. Hmm. Do you think uh, people aren't aware of the deleterious effects of alcohol? Uh, That's a great question to ask because that's a drug where even the manufacturer has always admitted that it was dangerous. I think people know the dangers of alcohol, but they also know the good part of alcohol. It has pleasurable effects, and people sort of try to strike a balance, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. What do you think is the drug that has the most misinformation associated with it? Oh, the most misinformation... Probably ecstasy, MDMA. There's a lot of advocates and critics who both have points of view that aren't accurate. The advocates say this is a wonderful drug that will allow you to have insight and empathy and can be used safely in every, you know, even in clinical context over the counter. That's not correct. <laughs> And the people who disapprove of it say, oh, it creates terrible holes in your brain and you die every time you take it. And there are both beneficial feelings that people have when they take it, so the advocates aren't so wrong. And there are dangers to it, but not holes in your brain, so the critics are also wrong. It's a good example of why we have to change Buzzed. When we first wrote Buzzed in 1998, the use of MDMA was skyrocketing because it had just gotten introduced in the United States and people were using it heavily. Teenagers were using it at raves and we hadn't had enough experience with it to see the downsides. And in the intervening period of time, it became obvious that you could really get into trouble with it. You could die with an overdose at a rave. You could take an amount that made you feel bad for the next couple of weeks. And, And most importantly, that people were probably doing long-lasting damage to some of the neurons in their brain that wasn't going to be easily corrected. And so the use just plummeted, and it's starting to inch back up now. We sort of have cultural amnesia about the adverse consequences of drugs. So that's a very typical pattern where we start using a lot, bad things happen to people, we stop, 
a new generation of drug users comes in, we start all over again. We've done this cycle with narcotics since the late 19th century. And is this just sort of a cycle that has to happen, or is it kind of a failure on the public health end? Uh, great. Well, of course, I'm an educator. I believe that it's a failure on the public education end. <laughs> <laughs> I think that if people are given accurate and unbiased information, that they'll make better choices. The key being accurate and unbiased, and that's hard to come by. That's really why we wrote Buzzed. Mm. What other drugs do you find in society that are particularly prevalent and people just don't know the correct facts about? Um, I think there's a lot of uh, misinformation about pot. Hmm. That was the drug that I was sort of wavering to talk about when you asked about what is the drug where there's the most misinformation. Hmm. And again, the advocates and the critics both have it wrong. The advocates say, oh, it's so much safer than alcohol that you should be able to use it all the time. And the critics say it's a dangerously addictive drug. And the truth is in, not even in between. It's different. The thing that people don't know about pot, that I w the thing I wish everybody knew about pot, is that it stays in your brain and in your body for a long time. So if you smoke a joint on Friday, half of the psychoactive compounds are still in your body the next day. And when you're doing that on a daily basis, your memory's going to be impaired. So people who smoke several joints a day are walking around chronically impaired. You know, usually people say, well, pot's not bad for your liver the way alcohol is, and that's true. But in terms of impairing your behavior, um, when you get drunk on a Friday night, you're better the next morning. And if you get that stoned on a Friday night, you still have some leftover effects the next day. Are there uh, deleterious effects on the rest of the body? Yes, two things. One, you're smoking it mostly. Mm -hmm. The smoke is toxic. People can get lung cancer and different oral cancers, even if they just smoke pot. Generally, people don't smoke 20 pot cigarettes a day, so they don't inhale quite as much smoke as they would if they were smoking a pack of cigarettes. But there are plenty of carcinogens in marijuana smoke, and as my family member pointed out to me today, we were talking about it, there aren't filters, <laughs> and so people can get cancer. What, another thing that people don't know much is that there are receptors for one of the active compounds in pot smoke on your immune cells, and it can impair immune function. It's a big controversy about using it as a medicine in people with AIDS because on the one hand it can stimulate appetite and help them if they're really losing weight. On the other hand, you don't want to give somebody with an impaired immune system a drug that's going to make it even worse. What about maybe some of the more recent drugs that are sort of out there like GHB? And GHB is another drug sort of like ecstasy that pretty quickly developed a very bad reputation that it deserved. Um, we actually, we know a lot about, about GHB because we worked on it in a lab a bit. It's a, a sedative drug. It makes you sleepy. It acts like alcohol. And people use it a lot in combination with alcohol. And that's where it gets dangerous. By itself, it's not very dangerous. Where people get into trouble with it is they take it in combination with alcohol. And scientific studies showed years ago that if you drank alcohol and took GHB, the effects were more than additive. And that's when 
taking two drugs that are sort of downs get you into trouble is when they're more than additive and particularly when you're taking ghb which is a sort of a colorless liquid and people don't know how to judge how intoxicated they're going to get they can take much more than they would be taking if they were drinking which they're more accustomed to doing and people can die from the overdose of the combination of ghb and alcohol it's a very very strange drug it gives you brain activity that's like what they used to call petit mal epilepsy. They give you actually a kind of little tiny seizure activity in your brain, which is kind of odd. And once you know it, it's hard to imagine why anybody would take it recreationally. <laughs> I'm curious, why indeed do you think these drugs are persistent in society? I think human beings are always searching for a way of altering their consciousness. Hmm. And sometimes that's for good, and sometimes they go too far. <laughs> I think there will always be that fundamental urge, and I doubt that we're going to, with any educational program alone, eradicate the use of psychoactive drugs. And remember, a lot of these drugs in another context are useful medicines. Mm. Great example of prescription narcotic drugs. Morphine and drugs like it are the best drugs for treating pain that exist even to this day, and they're also dangerously addictive. Mm. So there's a, a good and a bad to them. Just the everyday uh, drugs that people consume, like caffeine and nicotine. Well, two very different cases you mentioned. Nicotine's mm -hmm. probably one of the most addictive drugs that exists. Mm -hmm. It is just as addictive as cocaine or heroin, mm -hmm. and maybe even more so. We sort of sometimes play the what drug is the most addictive game, <laughs> and nicotine's always up there pretty high because people get addicted very quickly when they start, and it's the drug that people have the most trouble getting off of. Those are two of our approximations about how addictive a drug is. And it's bad news. And we also consume it in a form that's toxic to us. The drug nicotine itself is very toxic. It's bad for your cardiovascular system, quite independently of whatever it does to your brain. Caffeine is actually a lot more benign. Um, a lot of people worry about it a lot because it's physiologically active. It can make your heart rate go up, your blood pressure go up a little bit, and you definitely have symptoms when you stop taking it. If people get a regular coffee drinkers, they'll get a headache if they stop, they'll feel sleepy, and that's a form of withdrawal. But as far as we know, caffeine doesn't cause the kind of changes in the brain that lead to this compulsive craving for drug that is addiction. It's not like nicotine in that regard. Uh, I'm curious about the rise of a lot of these herbal drugs and medicines that are proliferating in the marketplace. Well, it's ironic to call it the rise of herbal drugs because, of course, our first drugs were herbal drugs. Mm. And a lot of our best medicines come from plants. Morphine is a perfect example. It comes from the poppy plant. Aspirin came from the bark of a tree. But we've become more popularized in the United States. Some of them are useful medicine. A great example is mahuang, which has the molecule in it called ephedrine which is a medicine that we used to use to treat asthma. And we have medicines with fewer side effects now, but some of them are effective. Mawang is a good example. Some of them can be very dangerous in combination with other drugs. A great example of that is, is the herb called St. John's wort. People take it because they use it to treat 
self-medicate depression. And it's the pattern that we worry about because it's not physically dangerous at all. People use it to self-medicate a disease. The clinical studies so far have shown that it's really not very effective. But if you're taking a St. John's wort tea and you're taking it in combination with other drugs, it can really affect how the other drugs work. The worst-case scenario that I've heard of is that it has so affected how your body handles drugs that are anti-rejection drugs that people who've had transplanted organs have lost the organs because the St. John's wort actually speeded up the metabolism of their prescription drug. In this case, it made it go away more quickly. Some other over-the-counter drugs do the opposite. They slow down the rate that your body can get rid of prescription drugs and you wind up getting overdosed. So most things you can buy over the counter aren't overtly toxic, but they're also not tested. There is a huge loophole in the FDA regulations about drugs and natural products. Anything produced in nature is not subject to the same laws. So the manufacturers don't have to prove it's safe and they don't have to prove it's effective. That's a good thing to think about when you're grabbing stuff off the herbal drugs counter at the, at the health food store. I mean, what about regulation regarding these herbal supplements and then legal issues regarding some drugs in general? Do you think some drugs that are outlaws should be legalized? Ah, uh, the $64,000 question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, herbal drugs, I think, I think about herbal drugs, that's the easier one to mm-hmm. dispense with. I think that there should be the same degree of oversight. If they're selling people things that they are using as medicines, they ought to be safe, period. And that, that I think, will eventually change. The drug that's going through a lot of discussion now is marijuana. And I know my two buzzed authors and I have different opinions about it. I'm a big fan of decriminalizing the use of marijuana because I think that putting people in jail for that isn't really useful or a good use of the culture's time and money. On the other hand, I don't think that completely legalizing it is a good idea for the reasons that I gave earlier. It stays in your body a long time. If you're taking it, it impairs you. And we've not shown that we can do a very good job of keeping drugs out of the hands of kids by making them illegal at a certain age. Certainly teenagers still start smoking and drinking, and they also start smoking pot too. If you make it more accessible, that's going to make that easier. So I have a I guess what you might call sort of a nuanced view of that. I'm in favor of decriminalization, but not complete legalization. I think the arguments for legalizations are more law enforcement arguments, and the point of view I'm coming from is a public health point of view. Hmm. Uh, well, I'm curious, we are running slightly out of time, but uh, if you have any final words. Sure, just get good information. Teachers, you can learn things yourself, and people will... Be careful with their bodies if they have good and accurate information. So educate yourselves. That's my final words. It's always good advice, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the new book is Buzzed, the straight facts about the most used and abused drugs from alcohol to ecstasy. Professor Kuhn, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. You're welcome. And you were just listening to Professor Cynthia Kuhn discussing the science of drugs. This is the Grok's Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, it's the Grokatron 5000 and World Famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned.
Grokatron 5000. It is our supercomputer formerly known as Deep Blue. Today the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic buzzed or teetotaling. And uh, so for the following five people, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you think they're buzzed or teetotaling and maybe a little reason why. Professor Kuhn, ready to play the game? Okay, I'll do my best. All right. Here we go. Person number one, buzzed or teetotaling, Donald Trump. Buzzed on alcohol would be my guess. (laughs) Well, it certainly explains some of his behavior, I think. <laughs> One would hope that he doesn't do all that he does completely sober. Uh, okay, number two is the Fed chairman, Ben Bernanke. Ben Bernanke, I would have to say teetotaler. I hope so. <laughs> For the sake of the economy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, number three is the uh, heiress, Paris Hilton. <laughs> I knew you were going to have Paris Hilton. I, I don't even think I need to answer that. Definitely not teetotaling. Really? <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, okay, number four is quarterback, Brett Favre. Mm, if it's a drug, it's, I would have to guess, something performance enhancing. <laughs> as, I, as I often say, I always suspect old athletes who start playing well. <laughs> All right, and uh, finally, number five, it's the President of the United States, George Bush. Well, he says teetotaling, and I take him at face value, (laughs) at least now, not in the past. All right, we'll have to get him under oath on that one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, uh, Professor Kuhn, I do want to thank you for sticking around playing the game, and of course, talking about the book, which again is Buzzed, the Straight Facts about the Most Used and Abused Drugs from Alcohol to Ecstasy. Thank you very much. My my pleasure. All right. Bye. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Groks, you can email us at groks at hotmail.com. For the Grok Science Show, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.